I wanted to just comment on uh, Bob's uh, remarks at the Lord's Supper table. Just, um, you know, when a person gets up and speaks, sometimes people don't feel like they have the gift of doing so or they feel like, oh, this, you know, this isn't my thing. And he, he said that. He said, this isn't my thing. Uh, but I think so much of getting up and speaking in front of other people has to do with sincerity and whether or not those to whom you're speaking recognize that you're sincere in the things that you're saying. And Bob was so incredibly sincere this morning in the things that he said. And I just wanted to, to thank you for that. Like it was just a blessing to, to have him pour out his heart uh, in a significant way and to reveal something about himself in the midst of the Lord's Supper. So thank you very much, brother. That was a blessing to me. I'd like all of you to turn to Mark 16, just so you can see a passage that we're going to look at in just a moment. We're talking about the Lord's gifts this morning. And I say the Lord's gifts, the spiritual gifts that come from God. And while you're at that passage, look up, or going to that passage, look up at this one as well. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant. That's a fascinating statement. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, and yet this is so often exactly what we are, is that we don't understand or get the things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives, specifically having to do with gifts. And it was interesting that, that Bob said that. Like Bob said, you know, I don't get this. And he and I didn't talk about that. He didn't know I was going to start with this. But I think it's interesting that he started with that and that I'm starting with this, the statement that that's not where ultimately God wants Bob to be or any of the rest of us to be when it comes to spiritual gifts. Unfortunately, and I think, I don't know if I want to say especially in churches of Christ, but certainly in churches of Christ, we sometimes are very ignorant about spiritual gifts. I went to a church talent show years ago. This fellow, before he performed at the talent show, explained to us that he felt as though God had gifted him with the blessing of being a performer. And so he sang and performed a Jimi Hendrix song at the talent show. Hendrix was his idol. And so he did this song. It was incredibly painful to be there during this performance. Because it was so clear, I think, to everybody else in the room that this fellow was not gifted with the blessing from God of being a public performer. As much as he might have hoped, wanted, and perhaps even thought and had been persuaded that that was his gift from God, it was not clearly his gift from God. Sometimes we are ignorant about what our gifts from God might be. Sometimes... When we have received a gift, we're not always as wise with the gifts that we have received as we should be. During the French Revolution, there were three Christians who were sentenced to die by the guillotine. One Christian had the gift of faith, the other had the gift of prophecy, the other had the gift of helping others. The Christian with the gift of faith was to be executed first. He was asked if he wanted to wear a hood over his head. He declined and said he was not afraid to die. I have the gift of faith that tells me that God will deliver me, he shouted bravely. His head was positioned under the guillotine with his neck on the chopping block. He looked up at the sharp blade, said a short prayer, and waited confidently. The rope was pulled, but nothing happened. 
His executioners were amazed, and believing that this must have been an act of God, they freed the man. The Christian with the gift of prophecy was next. His head was positioned under the guillotine blade, and he too was asked if he wanted the hood. No, he said, I'm not afraid to die. However, through the gift of prophecy, I can tell you that God will deliver me from this guillotine. At that, the rope was pulled, and again, nothing happened. Once again, the puzzled executioners assumed this must be a miracle of God, and they freed the man. The third Christian, with the gift of helping others, was next. He was brought to the guillotine and asked also if he would like to wear the hood. No, he said, I'm just as brave as those other two fellows. The executioner then positioned him face up under the guillotine, and were about to pull the rope when the man stopped them. Hey, wait a minute, he said. I think I just found the problem with your guillotine. Not necessarily a wise use of his spiritual gift. And so we sometimes are ignorant of our gifts. Sometimes we aren't very wise in the ways that we use them. One of the things that we do today is we ask a couple of questions. The question we should be asking is, what are my spiritual gifts and how can I use them for Christ? In fact, let me kind of address you, Bob. I think this is a question that you should be asking. Like That might make you a little bit nervous because you've just said, I'm kind of ignorant about all of this. But I think this is a question that we need to ask. What is my spiritual gift? How should I be using my spiritual gifts for Christ? And this is a question that all of us should, in fact, be asking. Unfortunately, that's not always the question that we ask today. Instead, what we often ask is, what about the gift of tongues and healing? That oftentimes is where we go. That's what we're really concerned about. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to go quickly through those two questions, but I'm going to do them kind of in reverse order. I'm going to talk a little bit about the whole gifts of tongues and healing kind of thing and then move into what are we going to do with our own spiritual gifts. And I think this will hopefully bless you. First of all, let me give you some history. Some history about the whole notion of spiritual gifting. Gradually, the fact is that it died out after about the 2nd century or so, and certainly by the 5th century. And what I mean by that is that the church stopped talking about these gifts. Early on, clearly in the New Testament, there were a lot of spiritual gifts that were mentioned. That went on for a couple of hundred years after the New Testament was written. But by the 5th century or so, there was very little discussion that had gone on. And by the way, I'm going to have to keep turning to the screen. Our monitor here isn't functioning this morning the way it's supposed to be, so I'm going to have to look at the screen with you guys. John Owen, 1616 to 1683, was one who actually started talking about this for the first time in a long time. And so for a thousand years or more, 1,100 years, there wasn't much discussion about spiritual gifts going on within the church. And then John Owen, who was an English preacher, started talking a bit about spiritual gifts. Then... The reformers had said virtually nothing. Uh, Martin Luther, John Calvin, those guys didn't say much about the spiritual gifts. John Wesley, also an Englishman, said some things about spiritual gifts at the Great Awakening. And he kind of opened the question uh, for the modern mind to think about spiritual gifts. Then we, in 1801, Churches of Christ had a, a significant connection, really, to spiritual gifts. Barton Stone, one of our major fathers uh, in terms of restoration churches, actually did a a great deal with spiritual gifts and was part of a a very, uh, you could use the word wild, spiritual gifting movement. And I've talked about this before, where they had uh, this revival at Cane Ridge where people were uh, tied to trees during the event so that they wouldn't continue to just kind of bounce around in the forest. 
They were barking like dogs. They were howling at the moon. They were falling stiff on the ground. They were rolling around. And Barton Stone didn't necessarily approve of all of that, that, but that was part of our heritage in the past uh, at one point. Then this fellow, Benjamin Warfield at Princeton, who was a Presbyterian, took what we would call a cessationist tone. And what Warfield did was he said, look, the spiritual gifts died out in the first century. God intended for them to die out in the first century, and it's because the scriptures came along. And so because the scriptures have been written, there is no room now for the spiritual gifts to be used with the way that they sometimes have been used. And the fact is that others followed Warfield, including us, and it's only been at the 20th century that there has been a huge reawakening of the spiritual gifts. So all the talking that we do about spiritual gifts and tongues and healings and the stuff we see on TV, all of that is a fairly recent phenomenon. Uh, it's only been spotty in terms of the way that it's happened in the past. So one of the major questions that we have to ask ourselves, I suppose, this morning and a lot of times is, have the gifts ceased? And and let me tell you that churches of Christ in the past have said yes. Like, our history has been that when we look at these gifts, especially the, the notably supernatural gifts like speaking in tongues and healing and those kinds of gifts, we've looked at these and said, yes, they have ceased. In other words, we basically took Warfield's position. And we said that First uh, Corinthians 13.8, when it says that the perfect, when the perfect comes, the imperfect will pass away. Well, the perfect there is, are the scriptures, and the imperfect when, uh, are going to pass away because the scriptures have come. Now, I'll just tell you, my own impression is that that argument doesn't really work. I'm, I'm not really uh, pleased or impressed with the argument from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that says that the gifts ceased in the apostolic age. At the same time, I take note of the lack of what I would consider to be a kind of legitimate presence of those gifts in the world today. And so it seems to me as though there is essentially a cessation of those gifts, even though I don't think the New Testament specifically teaches that those gifts were supposed to cease. Just because the New Testament doesn't teach that they were supposed to cease doesn't mean that God can't choose not to use them the way that he once did. And that's my impression. I think that in the beginning that God used those gifts to bless the church in a significant way and that with time those gifts began to cease and God stopped using them the way that he did. And so we don't see those gifts used in exactly the same way today as they used to. If you will, I would consider this the kind of analogy that fits. It's like God used the Holy Spirit in the beginning and the spiritual gifts as a kind of jump start to the church. You know how when you have a dead battery... And something needs to get a spark in there in order to get going. And so you hook up a battery, a a live battery, to a dead battery, and it gets it going again. And then it can function on its own. And my impression is that that's kind of how God has used the Holy Spirit. He used the Holy Spirit to jumpstart the church in the beginning with all kinds of miraculous gifts. And then with time, the church was able to function through the Word of God and through the occasional blessing, I think, actually, of God's blessing the church with, uh, with those kinds of gifts, was able to function on its own. So we don't have to have the same kind of, of miraculous presence within the church as we used to now. Now, is it possible that there's a time coming when God will choose again to use them? I think that's a possibility. Again, I don't see anything in Scripture that negates the idea that God would never use those. I'm just kind of looking and saying, how has God used them? What, has he, what is he doing right now? What has he done recently? 
And I'm gauging my assessment more on that than I am on some biblical argument about how the gifts have actually ceased. And so I I don't buy Warfield's argument. At the same time, I'm not an advocate of all kinds of charismatic gifting because it doesn't seem to me as though those are happening in the church uh, in the way that they used to. So that's kind of Kelly's take on this. But let me show you a couple of passages that I think are interesting or significant. Mark 16 is where you're at, I think. Look at verse 15. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. This is interesting. Especially when you read the signs. Here we are sending Jason off to Australia. Uh, There are things here that could come true in his life in Australia. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Now while I don't necessarily see God working in that way today, I would be actually open to that. I would almost look for that and see if God could perhaps use that. Do I see him doing that? No. Could he use that? I think that he could. Now I'm not advocating that Jason go off to Australia and start playing with one of those, what is it, like 18 of the most deadly snakes in the world or in Australia or something? I'm not suggesting that, brother. We're not looking for a report back from you that you've been snake handling. But nonetheless, would I hope that that, thing could happen, that kind of thing could happen? Well, I, I, I would be open to that if God chose to do that. The problem is not that God shuts all that down. The problem is that God just doesn't seem to be doing it. And so I don't want to put God in a box and say God can't do this. What I would say is, when I look at the situation, it doesn't seem to me as though God is, in fact, doing it. Now turn to Matthew chapter 7. And look at verse 15. And I would say that this is the kind of attitude that we have to approach this with. Watch out. Jesus says, for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. And so... I have to ask the question when I see someone making claims about what they're doing in the name of Jesus about their fruit. And I actually don't have huge problems with people making claims as long as the fruit of their life and the fruit of their ministry backs up what it is that they're purporting is to be the case. In other words, they're saying God is active here. Well, I want God to be active there, and I hope that he is, but I want to evaluate whether or not God is active by the fruit that is in their lives. And what I find over and over and over again is that the audacious, fantastic claims that I hear oftentimes simply don't measure up. I've told the story before about going to a faith healing session when I was in Victoria. One of our members wanted me to go to this. He said this faith healer had come to town. A lot of the preachers in town were going. So I thought, well, I'll go to this and see what was going on. So I went to this faith healing session. I was there with an open mind. The first thing that did, <coughs> the faith healer did was bring about 25 people up to the stage who had cancer. 
And he called them out of the audience. If you have cancer, I want, to, I want you to be healed. And so he brought them all up and he lined them all up. And he said, I'm going to pray for you. And when I'm done praying, God will have healed you. And so he started to pray and he prayed. It, it, the prayer was just like this. He said, oh, Lord, I pray that you would bless. And he stopped. And he said, God has told me that all of you have been healed. You can take your seats. Well, I was not impressed. Because I was afraid that what he was doing... And I thought he could well be deceived himself into thinking that that's what happened. But I think what he did was he gave a whole bunch of very sick people false hope. And he sent them to their seats. And I never followed up on that, but I would like to know what happened with those 25 people. And I think there are some of them who made it and some of them who didn't. And I think the percentage of those who made it and who didn't probably are about the same as it typically is. And that, that bothered me. That he, would, that he would say things to people, giving them such hope, only, I think, to have their hopes in some cases dashed because he wasn't actually hearing, in my opinion, hearing from the Lord and wasn't actually seeing these people healed. I followed him around. He eventually broke his session up into small groups. He told people to get into small groups and pray. I followed him around during the whole evening. I didn't get into one of the groups. I just followed him around to see what he'd be doing. And I watched him go to group after group after group and person after person with huge problems in their lives, uh, physical problems of all kinds. Uh, I mentioned before, I, I watched him uh, heal a little, try to heal a little boy who was deaf, and his parents were saying, we're taking him to Vancouver the next day for surgery, but we thought we'd come here tonight and maybe you can heal him so that we don't have to go through the surgery. And so he attempted to heal the child, couldn't heal him. You know, the child was as deaf afterwards as he was before. So I watched him time and again pray for people, and during that evening, absolutely nothing changed. Nothing happened. There was not one healing that I could say took place that night. That I have big problems with. And that's why we need to read Matthew chapter 7 and see what Jesus has to say about being wise and evaluative and suspicious even. And watch for people who produce good fruit. Look at verse 21 in the same passage. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only who, he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Sometimes we can even be deceived by what appears to be a miracle itself and think that people are doing what God wants them to do when in reality the fruit simply isn't there. So we have to be careful about that. So my conclusion in terms of the gifting and their cessation in our day. While I do think the sign gifts ceased by and large and when i say that i don't want i want to hedge here a bit and i want to say i also don't want to put god in a box i think it's possible for god to do this again i do think that god can work in our lives and heal people who are sick and so we pray for that and we want God to come and to heal and to bless people. And I believe that can happen. But I also believe that an awful lot that goes on in the name of Christianity today in terms of 
those public kinds of gifts that we need to be suspicious about that and recognize that sometimes there are people making claims in the name of Jesus who aren't really doing what God wants them to do. So be wise as a serpent, but innocent as a dove. I don't see anything in Scripture that says that they have to cease. But we need to test the spirits and be careful. And then if they manifest themselves, perhaps they're from God, we need to check them out. Much today, I don't think, is from God. So that's my first comment about spiritual gifting. We need to be wise. It could happen, but we need to be wise. Then I want you to, you don't have to turn to 1 Corinthians 13, but I just want you to think about the content of that chapter for a moment. We know 1 Corinthians 13 as what? What chapter is it? It's the love chapter. And it's all about love. And it starts out the chapter talking about the greatest of God's gifts to humankind. And he's just talked in 1 Corinthians 12 about the miraculous gifts and the way that they are present within the life of the church. And then he says, but let me tell you about the greatest stuff of all. And he focuses on love. And my impression is, if we're going to sum that up, that it would look something like this. Love must undergird our use of spiritual gifts or all gifts become worthless or even detrimental. You'll be a loud gong, Paul says, if love isn't present, but you use spiritual gifts. You'll just be a big ball of noise. You'll be nothing, totally detrimental in many ways to the church's efforts. If you're wishing to use the spiritual gifts and yet love doesn't completely undergird what it is that you're doing with those spiritual gifts. And I would say that's kind of the summation of 1 Corinthians 13. And then if you look at 1 Corinthians 14, I would make this kind of summation. The use of the gift of tongues in the public assembly is disallowed unless they're interpreted. Prophecy is disallowed unless it is a well-ordered event. And what I think was happening simply in Corinth is, I think that there was an awful lot of tongue speaking going on. I think that the tongue speakers were making audacious claims about how spiritual they were because they were speaking in tongues. And I think Paul says, because you keep talking about your gift of tongues and how spiritual you are, it shows just how little spirituality you actually have in your life. And so stop talking about how spiritual you are. And stop using the gift of tongues in the assembly. And stop standing up and making all these prophecies in the assembly so that everybody will look at you and you can be the subject of attention while everyone listens to your prophecy. Speaking in tongues and the use of prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14 in the assembly is specifically condemned by Paul. He specifically says, don't do this in the public assembly of the saints. Unless, of course, there's an interpreter. And so that rules out, I think, what goes on in an awful lot of Christian assemblies when we find 500 people all speaking in tongues and experiencing what they would claim to be the gift of the Holy Spirit. I have big questions about that, largely because it seems to be a specific violation of what's taught in 1 Corinthians 14. The same thing happens with prophecy in terms of lots of prophecies going on and God telling people different messages all the time. There is to be some order there. In fact, it's interesting that Paul specifically says that the prophecy and the tongue of a prophet can be controlled by the prophet. So there has to be some mind engagement and some rationalism that goes along with the use of prophecy uh, as the church exercises that gift 
as well. And so the general point there is it's not supposed to be used in the assembly. Now, what we sometimes have done is said, well, that means then that there will be no speaking in tongues, that God doesn't ever use that gift in the life of the church anymore. And honestly, of that, I'm not convinced. I think it's possible that God uses the gift of tongues today in the lives of individual Christians, but he does so, I think, in a very private way. And so go into your closet, Paul says, and do this. And I, I think that that's a possibility. I don't think there's anything in the New Testament that rules out the idea of people using tongues in that way. But to use them in the public assembly of the saints, I think, is a problem. Okay, that answers the first question about what about tongues and prophecy? And then I, I'm going to get into this other question of what do we do with our spiritual gifts in our own lives? And the answer is going to be fairly short, fairly brief, but I think that, uh, I think, or I hope that God will use this to bless you. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12. Notice again that the chapter starts out with Paul desiring that we not be ignorant about the gifting. Then he says in verse 2, You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. So idols are mute. You get the impression that idols are mute, but the Spirit brings out some speech. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. And so in asking the question, what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives with reference to speech, what does he do? He gets us to say, Jesus is Lord. And so I do believe in the gift of faith. I do believe in the Holy Spirit working in the lives of Christians to get them to make a proclamation about who Jesus is. In fact, I would say that when Jason and Cheryl go to Australia, but more than that, when Heather is living in Strathmore, that Jesus is there with them, blessing them, filling them with the Spirit so that they can say and make the claim before others, Jesus is Lord. And so the first thing I want to say about gifts is, We always want to particularize these gifts. We want to say that there are all these specific gifts and name them very specifically. We want to go through this specific list of gifts and say these are the gifts the church is supposed to have when really the gift of the Holy Spirit and gifts of the Holy Spirit is far broader than what we usually claim. And the fact is, is, and this is what we've been talking about all summer, that the Holy Spirit wants to work in your life in such a way that your faith and your proclamation about who He is is totally grounded in Him fostered by him so the spirit brings that out in you and if we have nothing to say good about jesus if we can't speak jesus is lord before those around us we need to ask the question about whether or not the holy spirit is in our lives blessing us the way that he should be because god wants to bless you and all of us in that way Who is Jesus to you? Can you make that claim about Jesus being Lord? The Holy Spirit wants to work in you in that way. Now, the second thing I want to say is, as you read through the rest of this chapter, there are specific gifts named. Gifts of prophecy, gifts of healing, get toward the end of the chapter, gifts of leadership, gifts of administration, all kinds of gifts. I think that God blesses Christians with the presence of His Spirit so that you are, in fact, gifted. I don't think that the list in 1 Corinthians 12 is exclusive. I don't think it's complete. I know it can't be because there are different gifts listed in Romans chapter 12. 
There are different gifts listed in Ephesians chapter 4. And so as the Spirit gifts the church, there is a host of gifts that come to the church and make themselves available for us to use by God's Spirit. And God wants to bless you, I'm convinced, each one of us, with his gift. And so we have Bob Bernard who says, I don't get it. And if I was to do a poll this morning, I think there's a lot of us that don't get it. Sometimes I don't get it. Surprise, the Spirit is a mystery. He's like a wind who blows here and there. We don't even know where he comes from or where he goes at times. So the Spirit wants to work in our lives. Sometimes I don't get it, but I don't have doubts about whether or not the Holy Spirit wants to gift us as his children to enable us to do ministry for him. I have no doubts about that at all. 1 Corinthians 12 is full of it. Romans chapter 12 is full of that. The notion of the Spirit gifting us in specific ways so that we can do ministry. And so I think we need to go back to that prior question. Not worry very much about the question of, what is he doing with tongues and healing today? I mean, ultimately, what God wants to do with tongues and healing today is God's business. And if God chooses to give people gifts of tongues, and he chooses to heal people through his Spirit, what am I supposed to say? Like, I can test them. I want to do that from Matthew chapter 7. I want to go to 1 John chapter 4 and and test the spirits just like John tells me to do. I'm going to do that. I'm going to look at their fruit. But ultimately what God does with tongues and prophecy in the big picture and with other churches and other people isn't all that important to me. What's really important to me is do we, the members who are at the Calvary Church of Christ, recognize the presence of the Spirit in our lives? Is God doing something in us? Are we able to identify in our lives the presence of the Spirit so that we can see that He's gifting us? And can we identify those gifts in such a way, to such an extent, that we're able to do ministry, that the ministry can be enhanced because God has blessed us with those gifts? That's a big question. One of the things that also comes out huge in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is that as the Spirit gifts the church for ministry, and as individuals, he blesses us with his unity in the process. And all of those gifts, he says, are for the common good. And so you receive a blessing, you receive a gift, an individual gift specific to you, and God uses that specific gift to bless the church, for ministry to take place, and for unity to be promoted through the use of that gift. And it's a beautiful picture here. The the human body that Paul describes as the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The tongue doesn't say to the ear, I don't need you. The foot can't say, I don't need the other parts. Instead, God works through each member, each gift to enhance the ministry of the church and to bring about unity in the midst of the use of those gifts. And and that's what we need to be open and ready to receive from God. How has God blessed you? How has he gifted you? And as you reflect on that question and you pray on that question, I faithfully believe and trust that God will assure you of the gift that you have received from him. 
I believe that we have them from Him and that we need to use them. We need to be open and active in our seeking. We need to pray about this issue. We need to... Let me advise you to ask other people what they think. Ask lots of Christians. Ask people who love you and that you trust. What do you think my gifts are? How do you think God has blessed me? But ask people that you trust so that when they say, yes, you have this gift, you'll trust it. Or if they say, you know, actually, I don't think this is your gift, that you can trust that and be comfortable with their advice there. I think God will bless those people with answers. I think he'll bless them with wisdom as they, in fact, deal with you as you're seeking your gift in the Lord. Wouldn't it be beautiful if we could all say, here's my gift, and here is how I'm using my gift in Christ. I think that God could, could use a church like that, where everyone recognized that gift in themselves and his spirit and was using that gift for him. God would use a church like that in significant ways. And I think he may well use us. Let's pray. Holy Father, we for weeks have been looking at the involvement of your spirit in our lives. God, I pray that you would bless us Uh, this morning especially, with discernment about our spiritual gifts as the Holy Spirit works in us to gift us for ministry and service to you. Help us to identify those special things, God, that you've brought into our lives. Help us to be willing to use them. Uh, Much like what Peter said, help us to to not have the, the things of the world distract us from something you want to do and use within us. And so help us to identify and then apply the gifts that the Spirit has given us as individual Christians. Uh, Start this morning to do that within us. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen.